Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Chaldean Priest Show. This is your host, Father Daniel, with another episode. And why don't we get started? Guys, please make sure you're subscribing to this podcast channel, referring it to other people that would really help, and make sure you rate it. Leave a comment if you would like. Don't forget to do that. So today's a rather interesting episode, and I promise the title was not just for clickbait. This episode is going to be rather brief um, because the topic of demonic possession and exorcism, so on and so forth, it's not something that I like people to dwell on, you know, because it doesn't really benefit a person much. It's good to understand it and um, be informed in it to some degree, but um, there's not much you could gain from it, right? You should spend most of that time uh, reading things that could benefit you and learning about things that could uh, be more beneficial to your life. Uh, but nevertheless, I, like I said, it's good to be informed. It's good to know at least some things about it, just so you can avoid throughout your life uh, different things that could cause you to sort of tiptoe around demonic possession. So, first order of business. Yes, demonic possession is real. And yes, exorcists exist. There's typically one exorcist priest that's des- designated for each eparchy or diocese, um, and if a diocese is pretty small, they'll sometimes outsource to uh, using a priest who's an exorcist from another diocese uh, for anyone that needs uh, an exorcism performed. And we've seen throughout um, history since, um, obviously, the time of Christ, right? We saw Jesus uh, evict many demons during his time, and he also tells his apostles to do the same, uh, which meant that this is something real, this is something that can happen to someone, and it's not a joke, you know. Maybe you guys have seen it in some movies uh, and think it's just some sort of fictional thing uh, that directors insert into movies just to uh, draw more attention because this is a topic of curiosity, you know. A lot of people are curious about this, and uh, it could be dangerous, right, to be too curious about this because the more you expose yourself to it, the more you show interest in something like this, the more that path will lead you into uh, things that are demonic. And we're very uh, curious people, right? We want to know about things that uh, are sort of edgy. And that's something that our fallen human nature causes us to do. But uh, before I get into a few more uh, examples about demonic possession, I want to read something from uh, Glorification Hymn from the Chaldean Liturgy. And again, this is written by uh, early church fathers from the Chaldean Church. And um, the words that I'm going to be reading, they're very profound, and they have everything to do with this topic. So, The author says this. He says, Strengthen her doors, meaning the church. Uh, Make strong her bars. Raise up her horn. Exalt her floors. Bless her sons and guard her church. Raise up her priests and shame her foes. Let your peace dwell within her gates. 
eradicate all that divides. Okay, I'm going to stop there. This language is alluding to someone who seems to be um, invading the church. It seems like this author is talking about uh, someone that could sort of want, he would want to infiltrate something that's holy. So that's why he's talking about strengthening the church and her priests and shaming her foes, so on and so forth, because there is an enemy that wants to attack the church, wants to attack her members, her priests, um, anything that causes unity. And that, that's what the church is. It's the, so ecclesia, ecclesia means the assembly of people. So that means there's a unification. And same thing with a church, uh, priests, right? So priests are united to the church, to serve the church. And something that does cause people to be divided in this aspect and uh, something that causes infiltration is Satan. And Satan using his powers to infiltrate not only the church, but people. And what I'm going to be telling you guys right now, it's not something, I know it could sort of be a scary topic, but it shouldn't be meant to scare you. It should be meant to educate you so that you can avoid anything that would cause you to fall into it. And I'll start with an example. So I know throughout my life, I, I've heard of exorcisms. You know, since I was a kid, uh, movies came out you know, the exorcism of Emily Rose, and um, there was The Right, the movie The Right, and they had people who were possessed in it. And I didn't really think much of it. I was just a curious kid, you know. Um, I was curious about it, but not too curious to go out of my way and um, look up YouTube videos of uh, people who were demonically possessed. And uh, to be honest, now if you do that, I think a lot of them are uh, fake. Because I remember, uh, this was before I got ordained, I got called, not to go do an exorcism because I wasn't a priest, but I was going to tag along with a priest who was going to do one. And this was a crazy moment in my life. So, it was, it was shocking and really eye-opening. So the priest got the call. I went with the priest. He came and picked me up. And we're going there. We're talking. And then we're telling each other, like, you know, we need to, like, start praying from now. Because demonic possession, I mean, a person has a demon within them that's controlling the way they speak, that's controlling the way they move uh, physically. So... A person will, for example, start convulsing. They'll start uh, screaming out uh, passages from the, from the Bible in verbatim. So that's one way you know that uh, someone is demonically possessed is they're able to uh, basically say any passage from Scripture verbatim. Um, and that's, I'm not saying that every theologian or anyone that remembers passages from the Bible is demonically possessed. That's not what I'm saying. But uh, your average person wouldn't be able to do that. So that's one sign of it. Um, and anything that is holy 
anything that has to do with Christ, anything that's divine, will cause, will sort of trigger that person uh, to start reacting to that because there is, like I said, a demon inside of them. So we were praying, you know, throughout the drive there. And finally we get there and you could just sense how eerie everything was. And the person that was possessed um, was unresponsive. You know, there wasn't much talk, much reaction. And uh, the priest started his prayers. So there are specific prayers um, for exorcisms. And as the priest starts, that's when the person, you know, started uh, r responding to that physically. So the behavior uh, started to not be normal. And um, there was, you know, it, it started to get overwhelming. So a uh, bunch of us had to leave the room and the priest uh, just continued to do his prayers. He walked in with uh, a Benedictine crucifix, holy water, uh, book with prayers of exorcisms um, in order to hopefully evict that demon. And um, what ended up happening is uh, the person sort of started to calm down a little and uh, we ended up leaving. And I remember once we got into the car, uh, we're talking about how, you know, surreal this is, looking at it face-to-face. -face. You know, you hear about it so much, but then looking at it face-to-face, -face, it's a totally different experience. And for some people, it's not like a one-time thing. So exorcism, sometimes it's not just, a, you don't just do it once and then that demon is evicted, everything is good. No, for some people, depending how possessed they are, uh, it takes multiple um, exorcisms to evict that demon. And one of the most famous exorcists in the world is Father Amroth, who um, has a few doc documentaries on his experiences with that. So um, that's a safe video to watch um, if you want to be more educated on it. He talks about his experiences, and he's much more educated on uh, this topic than I am because his, this is his expertise. You know, you could ask me about canon law uh, or theology is fine, but uh, exorcisms isn't, like I said, my cup of tea. So a biblical example of this is can be seen in Mark 5. So this is one of the uh, many times Jesus performs an exorcism. And um, let me read uh, some of it to you. So Jesus, he's uh, traveling uh, through the country. And it says, so says this, And when he had come out of the boat, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, which means uh, someone that's possessed, who lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, even with a chain. So what Mark is doing here now is uh, he's setting Jesus up because he's setting him up to show that Jesus could bind him. Jesus could evict this demon because he's saying no one was able to, no other human being was able to. Then he goes on to say, for he had often been bound with fetters and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the fetters he broke in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him. So this is uh, another sort of scene showing this supernatural strength that someone could have when they're possessed. Then he continues, night and day among the tombs 
and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. So self-harm is uh, another uh, symptom of demonic possession. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So you would think that this person is no longer demonically possessed, but what he's actually doing is he's mocking Jesus, Son of the Most High. So this was a form of mockery. And Jesus asked him, so Jesus knew this, and that's why Jesus asked him, what is your name? When an exorcist asks someone who is demonically possessed, what is your name? He is talking to the spirit, uh, the evil spirit that's uh, within that person. So he says, what is your name? And the person that's possessed says, he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him eagerly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of swine was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him, send us to the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them leave, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. So we first saw that the person that was possessed uh, referred to Jesus as Son of the Most High, you know, mocking him and sort of trying to perform a counter-exorcism, right? Because the demons are now calling out Jesus' name, okay? And then Jesus uh, does the same thing. He says, what is your name? He responds. And now we start to see the new exodus because this is a really bizarre scene, sending the evil spirits into the pigs and the pigs fall into the sea. But there is a lot of uh, Old Testament imagery here because what happened to Pharaoh's army? They ended up dying in the water. And Jesus is showing that he is the true Israel. And this is a new exodus, the exodus from sin. And then you get the theme of begging. So that's one thing. Then you get the theme of begging, begging Jesus to leave rather than adoring him and understanding who he is. And then earlier on in this gospel, the man sitting at the tomb uh, and clothed with a demonic spirit, what, happen, what happens at the resurrection? There's someone else sitting on the tomb, and it's an angel. And what Jesus is showing us is he has total control, not only over nature, but over demons. And one way I like to explain to people when they get sort of freaked out about the devil and his power, his ability to cause people to sin and uh, sort of do harm and disturb people's lives is, okay, he does have power, but he's very limited. And I like to describe it as God having him on a leash. You know, what happens when a dog is on a leash and is angry and wants to act out? All he could do is bark. And depending on the person, you could get scared from that bark. But in reality, he's, he's not going to bite. And one thing I want to leave you guys off with is understanding how to avoid these circumstances. So a lot of things have to do with superstition, things like Ouija boards, 
things like horoscopes, anything that goes against uh, God and religion. These are the things that have demonic power to them, and it's a real thing. And staying away from that, staying away from sorcery and all of these things, uh, you should be in good hands, you know? And doing that is uh, your ability to avoid any sort of demonic possession happening to you or to a family member or even someone living in a home. Even a home could be possessed. And that's one of the reasons why, so throughout tradition, when a Chaldean priest or any prelate of the Chaldean church visits a home, uh, whether it's, you know, for a pastoral visit or whatever it may be, there's always a prayer that's prayed uh, from the Chaldean liturgy. And it says this, cast out Satan, the enemy of all righteousness, from the house where we live, that he may no longer enter and rule rule in it. Establish its foundations, O Lord, upon the rock of faith, and increase eternal life in it. Uh, because the Chaldean fathers, they knew that this can happen. And uh, this is a really beautiful prayer that um, will evict demons from there, you know, through, by virtue of uh, the priesthood. Um, the priest is able to evict any evil spirits living in there. So that is my thrilling episode for today, to say the least. I hope you enjoyed it, and as always, let's get to the lines then. Someone that doesn't want to believe in demonic possession will tell you, no, that stuff doesn't exist, or some parents will tell their kids to uh, avoid them being scared, saying that uh, possession doesn't exist, you know, so on and so forth, but there is an article that I read that shows that people who were not religious at all ended up buying a house, and I'm going to give you the nutshell uh, story of this, but they ended up moving into a house, and apparently the old owners, they played the Ouija board a lot, and a lot of sorcery happened into the house. And within a month of living there, they started to notice that And by the way, this is all coming from a police report, okay? So they started to notice that their uh, forks, random forks on their counters started flying against the wall, and they didn't really think anything of it until they noticed on uh, their monitor, they had a monitor for their child who was uh, in a crib, you know, in her room, and they started to notice her walk, start scaling the walls and scaling the ceiling, and coming down. And then that's when, uh, no pun intended, all hell broke loose. So they started calling 911, you know, because they did, again, they weren't religious. They didn't know what was going on. So a police officer came out, made a report, and it started happening over and over again. And the, the officer, you know, very uh, innocently, innocently told them, saying, and again, this officer was not religious at all. This is all in the police report, uh, telling them that, look, this isn't a matter for law enforcement. You should consider calling a Catholic priest to uh, exercise his house, say some prayers, give you some blessings, and uh, see what happens from there. You know, you have nothing to lose. So again, this family wasn't religious. They weren't too crazy about that option, but they did it anyway because they were desperate. You know, this is a traumatic thing to go through. So a priest ended up coming out, 
he went to that house, he blessed it, and exercised that house, and they didn't see or notice anything happening again uh, to any, you know, um, extraordinary things happening within their home. So, um, and I think, I think I remember that article saying that they ended up selling that house anyway and moving into a new home, in which I don't blame them for doing. So, that is my episode for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to rate this podcast, subscribe, leave a comment if you wish. But as always, see you next time.